0: You know we honor moms today and um, in, in general we honor just the idea of ladies and um, it, like I say it's a tough day because uh, there's some of you that you're you've lost your moms and so you know the impact that she had on your life and uh, there are others of you that you know as a mom you've you've lost a child so that that makes Mother's Day kind of this bittersweet kind of day. Um, there are others of you that You were never married, or you never had children, or you never chose to have children, or whatever else, so that makes the day a little bit harder, Um, and there are other of you that you're like me, you're a guy, so Mother's Day, Um, you know, uh, but we all have a mother, all right, we've all had a mother, Um, and uh, for some of us, we were able to um, have a great mom who had a great influence and impact on our lives, for some of us, our mom, for some of you, maybe your mom was taken way too early. And so, um, so today, as I, as I talk, I'm going to talk in the context of mothers, but it's going to apply to all of us because the principles are universal for men, for women, for, for children, as, as well as adults. So uh, we're going to look at the story this morning of a mom. Um, actually, we looked at this story about uh, in December, actually, when we were dealing with the miracles of Christ. When we're dealing with the miracles of Christ, the focus is Jesus and the miracles. But I remember as we were going through this, I was fascinated by the idea of this this lady that we're going to look at. Because we don't even know her name. In fact, if you were to do the search, you don't know what to search. You either search like the Syrophoenician woman or the Canaanite woman or the woman. um, Because we don't know her name. Um, It's a very brief story, but it's a very, very significant story. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of great moms mentioned in the Bible. We've got Eve. We've got, you know, Mary, of course. Um, Hannah, um, Jacobed—that was Moses' mom. Um, you know, we have a lot of great moms mentioned in the Bible, uh, so uh, you know you can you can pick from a lot of them. But I, I, I want to pick one this morning that we don't even know her name, but she teaches us a tremendous amount about um, deal, how, how we can how we can deal with kids and how we can deal with as, as adults with with younger people and. How you can be a great mom as well as a great dad. So uh, that's the lady that we want to talk about this morning. Um, the story is found in Matthew chapter 15. So um, let's jump there. In Matthew chapter 15, and here's what it says I'm um, going to read the whole story and then we'll go back through it. Le- leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed, suffering terribly. And Jesus did not answer her a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, saying, send her away. She keeps crying after us. And he answered, he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him and said, Lord, please help me, she said. And he replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith your request is granted. Our daughter was healed at that moment. Now when we talked about this in December, we focused on Jesus and, and healing and all of those things. But this morning, I want the focus to be on this woman. And um, I, I want you to see some things from her life and some important lessons, I think, for us as, as, as adults and uh, for our kids as well. Um, it says, leaving that place, Jesus re- withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Here's what you need to understand. Jesus had been talking a lot to Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders and people like that. And they were upset with Jesus because they didn't understand why Jesus was hanging with the wrong crowd. Um, they thought Jesus should hang with religious people and Jesus was hanging with Pharisees and tax collectors and sinners and publicans. And and, and, all, and, and so they, they didn't like who Jesus was hanging with and they became very, very critical of Jesus. And so one of the things that happens is Jesus leaves that area and he goes to Tyre and Sidon. Now, Here's what's significant about it. That's modern-day Lebanon-Syria area. It's the only time in the Scriptures we see Jesus kind of leaving that whole Galilee-Jerusalem area, Judea area, and kind of stepping outside into a Gentile area. It's the only time he does that. And so Jesus goes up there. We don't know why. Probably just to get away. Um, probably, I think, specifically to run into this woman. But um, it says that while he's there, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. This woman's got everything going against her. First of all, she's a woman. You need to understand, in the, Bibli- in, in, in the, in the time that the, the Bible is written, the New Testament is written, um, women were not honored and exalted. Christianity actually takes the role of a woman and elevates it. God does that. That is not the culture of the time. Women, children, slaves, they were property. It was, a, it was a male-dominated culture. It was a male-driven culture. Not And when I say male-driven, I'm not talking about just a, you know, guys are in charge thing. I'm talking about... Guys are in charge, and anybody else has no value. And in this culture, the only thing worse than being a woman, they actually used to pray, I thank thee, God, I am not a woman. That was actually one of the prayers. Can you imagine me getting up every morning and saying, okay, honey, let's pray. God, thank you that I am not a woman. Now bless this food to our bodies, and thanks that I ain't a woman. That's that's the belief at the time. That's how ingrained it was. So, a woman coming to Jesus is a big deal. Okay? Secondly, she's a Canaanite woman. Because the only thing worse than being a woman was being a non Jewish woman. So now she's got two strikes against her. Now that she's a woman, she's a Canaanite woman, she's not a Gentile, or she's not a Jewish woman. The Canaanites were pagans. And not only that, she's got a third strike against her because she's got a demon possessed child. It's like, wait a minute. This is the rabbi. This is Jesus. Jesus and demons don't mix. What do you, what do you, and this woman decides since Jesus is in the area, I'm bringing, I'm going to go talk to him. I'm going to go talk to Jesus. Now, let me tell you something. That's a gutsy move in this culture. That's why I really have a tremendous amount of respect for this woman. Because this Gentile, Canaanite woman with a demon-possessed child goes, I'm talking to that guy. And she goes and she talks to him. And she says, my daughter is demon- First of all, she says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. She acknowledges who he is, and she does not ask for healing. This is significant. She does not ask for her, her, her daughter to be healed. She says, have mercy on me. That's all she wants is mercy. Kindness. Look favorably on me. That's all I want. Because my daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. And now Jesus, God, in flesh, does what? He ignores her. He ignores her. He doesn't answer a word. Can you imagine this? I mean, this is Jesus. This is the guy who's supposed to fix everything and everybody. And he, she comes to him because Jesus, Jesus is trying to teach his disciples something here. Jesus knows how this story is going to end. This doesn't take him by surprise. So Jesus specifically ignores her. Doesn't pay any attention at all to her. And then notice what happened. So the disciples came to him and urged him, saying, send her away. She keeps crying after us. Jesus ignores her, so what does she do? (coughs) She goes, oh, okay, well, I tried. No, not this woman. This woman goes, well, if you didn't hear me the first time. Ladies, I'm not saying this is the way it should work. I'm just going to get louder. (laughs) No. I'm just going to get louder, and I'm going to keep pursuing. And I, you know, Some of you are going, I live at that address. Um, and I, yeah, we're not going down this road. It's Mother's Day. Um, I want to eat today. Um, so anyway, it says, it says, send her away. She keeps crying out after her, And the disciples look at Jesus and go, Jesus, shut her up. We're getting tired of listening to this. Will you just send her away? And the whole time, I mean, she's in the background going, Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus, have mercy on us. And I'm sure these disciples are going, just fix her and get her away from here. Get her out of here. We don't want her around. And then notice what happened. He answered. Now he stops and he directs his attention towards her. And listen to what he says. He says... I was only sent for the lost sheep of Israel. Modern day, now, modern day practical thing. You know what she looks at him and goes? Again, understand, Jesus has a plan. This isn't, he's, he's working this to get to this point. But he's, the disciples got to understand it. He looks at her and he says, I'm not here for you people, I'm here for the Israelites. That's why I came. I came for the Israelites. And the Bible says the gospel goes to the Jew first and then Gentile. So in other words, I'm here for them. Now you would think at this point she would have been shut down. You would think at this point he ignores her. She cries out. Finally, he stops. He looks at her attention. And he goes, ma'am, with all due respect, I'm not here for you. I'm here for the children of Israel. And the disciples are going, yes! Now she'll be quiet and go away. And notice what happens next. This is why I think this woman's so incredible. Lord, help me, she said. Now she comes to him and falls down before him and kneels at his feet and says, Lord, help me. Help me. And now Jesus is standing there. She's falling on his feet. The disciples are going, come on, woman. We've got other things to do leave him alone, it's been a long day, let him go, stop harassing him, he's already told you no once, now you told you no, and now you're still sitting there, just go away. And Jesus, as if she hasn't gotten the hint yet, looks at her and says, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, the Gentiles in this culture were often known in the Jewish world as dogs. So Jesus basically looks at her and goes, look, you don't get it. Even if I wanted to, that's not the thing for me to do. I don't take good food and give it to the dogs. It goes to the children first. That's, what, that's the plan. The plan is I take it to the children first. I give it to my children first. That's what I'm here for. And it's not right. For the Jewish people who have looked forward to me coming for all of this time, and I've now arrived to save them, it's not right for me to stop and do that for you. And you would think this would have shut her out. You know, At that point, she goes, oh, <laughs> you know. And I'm sure the disciples in the background are going, good, finally, you said it. Now maybe she'll leave us alone. And notice what she does. I think this is incredible. Follow it. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She looks at Jesus, the son of God, and says, you're wrong. She looks at God and says, you're wrong. You got this one wrong. And I'm going to tell you why you got it wrong. Like I say, my respect for this woman is like off the charts. Because this woman gets it, and she looks at Jesus, God, and says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She said, you're exactly right. I'm not asking you to feed me. I just want a crumb. That's all I want. I I don't need you to do for me what you're going to do for them. You just give me the leftovers, and I'll be happy. You just, as you're passing it along to that kid and something drops to the floor, let me have that. That's all I want. That's all I want. Because I understand you are so powerful that even a crumb will take care of my problem. That's what I understand. I know who you are. I know what you can do. I know the power that you have. I understand exactly what you're here for. But you need to know, I'm not asking for that. All I'm asking for is, Give me something that was going to hit the floor anyway. Even the dogs get that. Even the dogs get to eat the scraps that hit the floor. That's all I want. And Jesus, who he orchestrated this whole story to this event, looks at her and says, Woman, you, have great faith now this is a fascinating study because often in the bible you know how many times jesus has told his disciples you have no faith or you have little faith it is not set the closest that i can find jesus saying something like this is when he looks at peter when peter says thou art the christ the son of the living god and he says heaven and earth hasn't revealed this to you that's the close and that's like matthew 16 that's coming but The idea is Jesus looks at these guys, and I think that's the whole purpose he went to Tyre and Sidon, is so this story could happen, so that he could look at his disciples and go, let me explain this something to you guys. Over in here in Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee and all this area that I've been ministering, they don't get it. But I go over here into a pagan world, they get it. There are people over here that understand it. And later, disciples, when they reject it, There's a whole group of people willing to embrace it. And I think when you get to Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the disciples remember this story of this idea that, you know what? The Jews may not get it, but there's a whole group of people who will. And you see this idea where Jesus looks at her, and, and it's one of the rare things you see in Scripture, where Jesus looks at this woman and says, and by the way, notice what it says. Woman. We don't even know her name. She's a faceless, nameless person who we can't even imagine anything about her other than woman. You? You get it. You have a great faith, bigger than anything I've seen to this point. It is amazing. You have this incredibly great faith. And by the way, because you do, go on home. It's all taken care of. And the disciples, I think, are standing back in amazement at this whole story that's played out in front of them and going, wow, wow. So a couple of takeaways, I think, for us um, as we talk about Mother's Day and some things maybe to just kind of apply here. Here's the first thing. I think one of the things you see about this mom, this mother, this woman is she is desperate for her kids, for her kid. There is nothing that is going to stop this woman from getting help for her kids. The disciples try to shut her down. Jesus shuts her down. Everything, every obstacle she comes up against, she figures out a way. Over it, through it, under it, past it, around it, whatever. She is desperate to help her kid. Hear me this morning. We need a generation of adults who are desperate to help our kids. And I'm afraid what's happened in our culture right now in America, we are more concerned with entertaining our kids than we are helping our kids we are more concerned about making their life easy than really preparing them for life. And I think we have deluded ourselves to think that we're helping them when in reality, in some cases, we're hurting them. And we need to get back to a group, a mentality, a mindset that says, you know what, we will do whatever we need to do to help our kids. And one of the things, one of the concerns that I have right now is that I see a generation of of parents who are doing everything they can to appease their kids. And they don't realize they're crippling them. They don't realize they're hurting them. I get that as a parent, you want your kids to have it easier than you did, better than you did. But is that the best thing for them? I mean, really, is that the best thing for them? Are you trying to raise somebody who's going to be your friend? Or are you trying to raise somebody who's going to be a responsible adult? I mean, it's your call. But what I have found is, in the end, kids really respect people who have helped them be adults. You know, I mean, I joked about it. Some of you would see on my Facebook thing, you know, my kids growing up, you know, we had a garden, and we had a large garden, a huge garden. The garden now is a third of the size it was when my kids were at the house. Um, and and, and we, had it, we had it for a number of reasons. Number one, we had it because it helped cost, food cost. Two teenage boys, believe me, food gets expensive. And a garden helps. So, you know, that helped. We had it to teach them hard work. Because one of the things, my wife and I, one of our goals for our kids was, I'm going to instill in you the value of hard work. I, I've watched too many kids be lazy. I'm going to teach you how to work hard. And the third reason I had it was I had to have a discipline tool. Because as they got older, you needed some way to be able to discipline them. And weeds were a fantastic discipline tool. It was. It was like, go weed the garden. Um, you know, um, we had two things. Number one, I, I'm a firm believer in these two things if you live in the country. A garden with weeds and a driveway with gravel. Because that was our discipline tool for our kids. That was a great, fun, and the driveway for gravel thing is just that in the winter, you know how when you just, the snow you always get rocks in the yard? We'd hand them a five-gallon bucket and say, you know what, you won't listen to me, go fill it up. Um, you know, one of the worst times in their life, and they'll tell you, one of the worst times in their lives where they were upstairs, they had shared a room for a while. They were fighting and arguing, wouldn't go to bed, and that. so I walked in, and I handed them two buckets. I handed them two flashlights, and I said, go outside and fill up half a bucket. It's cold. Yeah, 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 yeah. listen to them whine and everything else till we got two half buckets we dumped it in the driveway where it belonged and then it was like okay you going to tire tired enough to go to bed now yeah, 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 yeah. good you know um, it works it works I'm telling you you know now I cut grass it's hilarious because now I cut grass going man I wish you had some little kids around getting in trouble because uh, now I'm the guy that's got to go out and do the thing but I mean really what, what's our goal what's our goal And what are we trying to do? We need parents who are desperate to raise a generation of kids who are self-sufficient, who are responsible, who are accountable, who are hard workers, who know how to pay their bills, who know how to handle credit, who know how to handle life. We've got to have a group of kids who are self-sustaining. And too often what happens is we are raising a generation of people who aren't that way. And we wonder, you know, oh, what's the solution to America? Oh, I know, let's give them more programs to make it easier because we don't want them to work hard. You know? And, and we're missing out. We're missing it. And we've got to get desperate about really helping our kids to be the kind of people that they need to be and to give them those skills. And I think we, we lose that sometimes. And I think, Unfortunately, we've adopted this attitude of, I want to hold on to my kids as long as I can. I, 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 share with, I share with couples when I marry them, TPT, temporary, permanent, temporary. You were born into a temporary relationship as a child. You get married, that becomes a permanent relationship. You have children, that is a temporary relationship. The only permanent relationship is the married one. And I see too many parents who are trying to make that that temporary relationship permanent. And instead of spending time with their spouse, they spend time with their kids. And then when the kids finally do move off, they're two strangers in a house, and they go, we got nothing in common, let's just get divorced. Why? Because they put the emphasis on the temporary relationship instead of permanent one. And I, I want to challenge you. You know, I love my kids. I love having my kids around. I love my kids when they go. I mean, you know, you know, Jean and I will tell you many a day. You know, they come pull, pull out of there, and we're like, ah. you know, and I don't even want to think about the whole, the whole grandkid thing's going to be. You know, because I know it's going to. You know, and you also have to understand when they all come over. There are five dogs at our house. Five dogs. You know. Five dogs, and, 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 you know, and the dogs get into it, and then we got to get up and go get the dogs and figure out what's going on. I mean, you know, anyway. Um, huh? Yeah. No, 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 we're not getting into that. Anyway, okay, look, we've got to get back to this, though. We've got to get back to this idea of really being desperate of our kids. Here's the second thing. We've got to get back to this idea of Christ as the center of it. This woman understand that Jesus was the solution to her kids' problems. I'm afraid that we're raising a generation of people who see sports, dance recitals, plays, all of those other things as more important than church. And there is something to be said for being together in a spiritual environment at least once a week as a family. There is something to be said for the idea of another voice teaching your children morality because if you think about it for a minute if you raise your kids and and, and church is not a part of it what happens is they grow up in a world where the only voice for morality they're going to probably hear is from you and there's nothing to reinforce that the school's not going to do it the coaches and sports teams aren't going to do it the teachers aren't going to do it tv is definitely not going to do it the music they listen to is not going yay love your parents um, <clears throat> I mean, really, you know, the whole the whole system is geared against you as a parent to be a voice to say anything other than what you are saying. The whole system's geared that way, and I see parents who don't see the value. And I mean, you're not; you're here, okay? So I'm, it's like preaching in the choir, um. I, I get that, but maybe just to reinforce it with you, is this idea of having that voice of morality, because this is what I want. I watch parents go, you know, we're just too busy, you know, we'll get to church, whatever. And, 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 and so they don't bring their kids up in it, and then here's what happened. About 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, I get the call. Oh, I don't know what to do. I can't believe my kid made this choice. And uh, how, how do we help them? We taught them all the right things. Yeah, but you were one voice. You were one voice. You were one voice. And all the other voices were louder. And when you had the opportunity to put them in an environment where there was a voice backing up what you said, you didn't choose that. And you reap what you sow. And now you've got to go back and play catch-up. And you need to learn. You, you learn very, very quickly. Kids are far more impressionable when they're younger. And then the older they get, the harder it is for them to change and the harder it is for them to learn something new. So you do it as they're young and you bring them and and you go, you know, I I understand, look, my wife was a single, you, you know, I don't know if you ever thought about this. My wife, for the most part, when it came to church, was a single parent. No Sunday morning dad ever helped get the kids ready for church, ever. I was gone. I was here by the time she was getting kids ready. At no point was I able to take my kid and say, don't worry, honey, I understand they're crying in the service, I'll take care of them. None. She was a single parent for raising the kids um, when it came to the whole church thing. So I don't understand it, but I know how hard it was for her, particularly because they, could, they were boys. Okay? Enough said. Um, they were boys. And, and, so, and, and so you have all of that kind of stuff going on. But for us, it was important, and it always had been. We've both been brought up to believe in the importance of church and the church of being together. Here's what I didn't understand that I'm finally getting now, and let me talk to some of you who have younger kids and that kind of thing. I was, uh, I was in youth work for, I was in camp work for three years. I was in youth work for six years. So prior to coming here, for nine years, I'd been in big church kind of settings where there were a lot of activities. We did a lot of stuff for the kids. I've hauled kids all over the world. Um, I have taken mission trips. I have done games and activities. I have, we, have, you know, we have done everything. You know, we've played with 6 footballs, We've done balloons. We've done newspaper activities. So many activities. I mean, I have books on activities you do with the kids. And my struggle with the youth pastor was always this. I was trying to get the good kids to hang with the good kids. And I was trying to get the bad kids to be influenced by the good kids and not allow the bad kids to influence the good kids, but the good kids to influence the bad kids. It was this peer-to-peer thing. And I I, I would go crazy trying to figure out ways, creative ways to do that. And so when my kids started to get to be junior high, it was like, oh, no, no, no i got a small church. We can't have those activities. We can't have that kind of stuff. Do I need to move on? Do I need to go take a bigger church where they have that for my kids because my kids were important to me? And we figured out, you know what? No, we can supplement it. We can still be here on Sundays. And on Wednesday nights, we got them involved in programs at other churches. At the time that they were growing up, we had four good churches to choose from. And so we said, you know what? We can send them to great youth programs over there, and they can get involved there and, and, and do that, and they can have that peer thing. But here's what I didn't get. I didn't understand the value of the mentor thing. Because you see with the whole youth program thing that I was associated with for nine years, it was about peer-to-peer. You know what I learned here? You know, you know what happened here? It became a mentor thing. Because, see, when, before my kids could drive, what would happen is they had to hang around church as long as we did. So before I knew it, there was only fo- so much football they could play. So then they'd come out, and they would come out of that room, and they'd start hanging around the adults that were talking. And then, what would happen is some of the adults would start talking to them on the side. And then they would come to church and start looking for those adults. And before I knew it, by the time my kids were 16, 17, 18 years old, they had this adult group of friends at church who were helping them and were another voice to everything Gene and I were telling them. And what I started to realize was there was so much value in that that I, I never understood it as a youth pastor, and I came to cherish and treasure it even to the point of. And I, I'm not, I'm not going to embarrass who it was, but we had a couple that that for years um, takes us out to eat on a regular basis, and they would invite our kids. Then I never forget. I forget what the deal was, but it was it was something where. I called one of my kids, and I said, hey, you know, what are you doing tonight? And they said, oh, we're going over to so-and-so's house to eat. And it was somebody from this church. It was an adult couple from this church. I thought, oh, okay, that's cool. So I called the other kid, and I said, hey, what's going on? They said, oh, we're going over to so-and-so's house to eat tonight. I'm like, I didn't get invited. Why are they eating with my kids? And I, I it believe me, it did not bother me in the least. You know why? I'm thinking that is what church is all about. And some of you, you have kids, you don't have kids, you're single, you're whatever. You have the opportunity to make an imprint on a life of these kids that are here. And you have an opportunity to show them in that. To show them that Christ is the answer to their lives. That Christ is the one who can help them. And we've got to get back to that. And part of that becomes this idea of adults mentoring kids and taking some of these kids. I guarantee you there is some kid in here running around here like a banshee after church that you can start doing something with. And invest in their lives. And you know what? Here's what you will find. Mark my words. Mark my words on this. You know what will happen? You will start to feel, you will start to be so blessed, you will feel guilty for, for, for what you get out of that relationship. That's what will happen. You will come back and you will go, wow, I never realized how much fun that is. I feel bad. And that person can be forever impacted by you because we've got to show these kids Jesus Christ is the answer to the stuff. It's, it's not about the activities. It's not about, we, we do all that stuff. I get it. But it's really about Christ. And we are the ones to mentor that to these kids. And moms do that so well. I mean, I have to say, you know, Jean was, a, Jean was the major influence on my boys. Okay? Because she, unfortunately, had to function a lot as a single parent. Because many a night, I would get called away we'd have plans and she'd be the one to have to say okay guys you know sorry but dad had to go and um, so you know I mean you know they and and besides they they already said they love her more than they love me so anyway um, (laughs) yeah they do yeah they've already no they've been very explicit with us no they've been very explicit with it she gets the good nursing home I get the bad one they've already explained that to us They've already said, listen, this is the way it's going to be. Just want you to know right up front, you know. Mom will get the good one. You, uh, we're not so concerned about. Uh, but, I mean, really, it's one of those deals where, you know what? We've got to get back to the spiritual side of it. We've got to get back to showing our kids how Christ comes back into play. And when they're struggling at school, we've got to be able to point them to Christ. We've got to be able to bring Christ back into the equation for them. And the last thing that you see with this, thing, this, this gal is this. You see an incredible humility on her part. She doesn't care she's a woman. She doesn't care she's Canaanite. She doesn't care that she's demon-possessed. She doesn't care that Jesus told her no. She doesn't care the disciples want her to go. She is humble enough to fall at his feet and say, I want you to help. And I'm not leaving because I want you to help. And we don't know her name. All we know is she's a woman who was passionate about helping her kids. And she was passionate about believing in Christ. And she was passionate about knowing he could help her. And when the story ends, she is, to my knowledge, the only person in the New Testament that Jesus looks to and says, You, you've got great faith. And you know, when the God of heaven looks at you and says, You've got great faith, that's a pretty decent epitaph. You're not going to do much better than that. And Jesus exalts her in a way that no one else is exalted. Be, and, and, and I want to challenge you because that's, that's what we've got to get back to. That's what we've got to get back to. And we can all have an impact on these kids. Whether you're mother, whether you're dad, whether you're just, just walked in here off the street. You have the opportunity to influence a life. So don't, don't. thank you, Lord, for the moms that many of us have had, for the opportunities that we've had, Lord, not only to hear, but to see an example of what a godly woman looks like. And, Lord, I I, I thank you that we get to come together and see so many women who passionately want to serve you, who passionately care about their family. And, Lord, I just pray that each of us would apply it to our hearts, that, Lord, we would be the kind of people you've designed for us to be, that, Lord, we would We would genuinely work with our kids to help them be the best that they can be. And that, Lord, they would see in us that Christ is the answer. It's not ritual or routine or religion or any of those other things, but it's Christ and Christ alone. And, Lord, may we all walk with the humility and a grace and an understanding that, Lord, uh, we just want you to use us. And when it's all said and done, we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, Let's stand together, and uh, we're going to sing the first verse.